0: Welcome back everyone to Bounce Off, the number one slam ball podcast worldwide, I am your host Sam Roberts, you can find me on social media at Quantum Roberts, Q-U-A-N-T-U-M Roberts, that's Instagram, X, I guess, and TikTok, plus anywhere else you might end up finding me. This episode is recapping last night's event, Sunday night of week two of slam ball action. The headlines, John Schreffen asks, can anyone beat the mob as they go up 8-0? The Rumble get their first win and injuries continue to dismantle the wrath. We will also have our week two power rankings and an all-star four of the week on today's episode. Very excited to get into it, guys. We have some stuff coming this week, Uh, probably not as much as last week, just purely because that was a lot. I don't know if you realize that was a lot that went out last week, but we shall see. I've got some fun things I might want to do. Uh, but today is all about what happened last night, finishing out weekend two of Slam Ball action, and like I say, touching on the power rankings, touching on the uh, team of the week. And I do think I'm going to be ruffling some feathers with that power ranking, but I think I'm very justified in how I'm going to talk about it, okay? We start with game one of the nights, because that's how things make sense. It was Wrath versus the Mob. And like I mentioned off the top, the mob are 8-0 now on the season. So, you know, they won game one of the night. They beat the Wrath 68-27. to And I want to immediately draw attention to the fact that this game actually was a lot, it wasn't even that close. So so that that is a 41-point loss for the Wrath. Um, and they hit two buzzer-beater four-point shots to end quarters. So if you took those away, say they missed instead of going in, that's 19 to 68 and that would be by far the biggest loss of the season. Um, that's hypotheticals. I would guess that that might still be one of the biggest losses of the season is 40 you know 41 points um but the wrath didn't it's not like they didn't try. This was a harsh game for them, so they've still got all the injury concerns that we knew about from last week. No Christian Grey, no Stephen Julian third, no Ty McGee, all of them out with different injuries. McGee's in concussion protocol, might come back soon, no word on that. Stephen Julian 3rd has got an ankle issue, Christian Grey's got a knee issue. They're starting, five, sorry, they're starting four is Darian Slade at Handler, Sean Stiff at, uh, at Stopper. Nick Parks as your like third guy there. I'd say that that's your sort of ranking of importance. I think Sean Stith was the most important out of these four. Darian Slade is the next most important in terms of running offense and scoring, and then Nick Parks is as the guy that's running with Slade, getting points. He's he's getting a lot of the scoring on this team because he's receiving alley oop passes and he's doing a lot for them. And then Jones, who's one of the taxi squad players, the many taxi squad players that the Wrath have taken into their team. Um, I have asked the league for a clarification on how the taxi squad works because based on what I got told from Coach H and Coach Kirsch, it seems as though if you take a taxi squad player, you have to give someone up to the taxi squad as well. And I don't know if that's the case with the Rath. I want clarification from the league. I have asked. We shall see what they say to me. It was late on a Sunday night. I understand they probably just want to get home and and rest. Um, I relate. Uh, But we're hoping to see. They'll hopefully get back to us. In terms of how the actual game went for the wrath, um, like said, so Darian Slade has got a lot to do on this team with those three injuries we talked about. He throws one of the biggest hits of the season, and then on the the next play, he throws the ball away trying to make a pass. Um, but he he you know is is getting in amongst it and is trying to to you know get involved as much as possible. Him and Nick Parks are being asked to carry the whole load. It's a lot of quick drives and it's a lot of layups. Uh, Just try to score in whatever way possible instead of trying to get a lot of points, just trying to get some points. And obviously it doesn't go their way, but that's because last week they said that they are running a 10 play rotation or earlier this week, sorry, they said they're running 10 play rotation instead of 20 play rotation, which is what they would typically run. Uh, And they're forced to run 10 because of these injuries and so that all the practice guys can keep up. And I would need to go back through the game and look and see if they ran 10, but I would expect that it was just we need to drive and score and two-person cuts and, and all this stuff. And um, yeah, it's it's not looking great for the mob, for the for, for the wrath, sorry. When you have that limited of an offense, right, if you're going up against a good stopper, that's already a bad sighting. They're going up against Gage Smith in this game, who I think universally is considered the best player in the league right now. He is capable of stopping more advanced offences and one that is basically just two guys trying to do everything on their own, occasionally including Sean Stith in this offence. He was, it just looked impossible for them to get anything off and it's it's really unfortunate because the Rather team I like, the Rather team I think a lot of people like unless you just hate their uniforms, which is how, how some people started preseason, which is fine, but um, it's just very unfortunate and it got more unfortunate because in the third quarter Sean Stiff then went down with an injury his knee kind of buckled his left knee he he had to get helped off the court it wasn't all under his own steam again don't know any update on that the league is not forthcoming with this stuff until we get to a game where that team should be throwing out their starting four and then they'll go oh these guys are actually hurt and that is the that the the phrase they're starting for is paramount when we're talking about the wrath right now because Stephen Julian Ty McGee Christian Gray are your starting handler Gunner Gunner right and now Sean Stith is your starting stopper they're literally their starting four are all out for an undeterminable amount of time right now I was saying on Twitter that I think the best thing that they can do is. They need to try and string some wins together in early night games, under the power of Darian Slade and Nick Parks just doing everything they can. Maybe with some help from Ryan Ryan Johnson because he's he's con- contributing out there. They need to do as much as they can to get wins in order to stay in postseason contention. Uh, they're currently three and three, which is you know five hundred. It's above. They they are in terms of standings a definitive you know fourth right now behind other teams in terms of like at league standings. Uh and so they're at three and three, which means that they are above the Griffs, the Lava, uh definitely Lava, sorry, the Griffs, the Rumble, and the Ozone. But if either of those teams, the, the Griffs, Rumble, or Ozone, win out a weekend, um, or win out one night of a weekend, they're tied with the Wrath, you know, if, if if things keep going the way that it's going. Um in fact I think they'd be above the Wrath in terms of win percentage. So it's I need I think you want the Wrath to just try and stay in playoff contention, not drop into one of those bottom two spots. They're not gonna be a top two at this stage. And then just hope that their team can recover and get back in time for week five playoff action that is their hope at this stage and it sounds crazy because you're like well we're two weeks into the season the season is five weeks in slam ball so we are halfway through the season they have two more weekends and then it's thursday and sorry tuesday and thursday for playoffs so they just need to let those guys rest run out darian slade nick parks and the taxi guys and see what they can do and try and get a couple wins over the next two weekends and maintain maintain playoff contention rather than just drop out of it completely the difficulty with having a bunch of taxi guys I don't know the logistics of how they're practicing behind the scenes like if you're part of the taxi squad are you practicing with a team are you just doing strength and conditioning on your own are you getting tramp like opportunities are you getting coached on the rules what is happening from a taxi squad perspective in terms of keeping those guys in I know what you're saying Sam you should be asking that question and I will do because I want to know but the immediate thing that comes to me is they're less experienced. They're not able to keep up with the game to the same degree. They're making a couple of mistakes here and there that you wouldn't be making if you'd had more experience on the tramps and more experience with the rule book and practicing and even playing game time. Um, and that's just hard. So, so injuries don't just mean a lack of talent, but it also means, at least in this league, players taking those positions who've got a lack of experience and knowledge. And that's, they'll probably have, they they will, in playing this sport, have way more knowledge than me. I think it's important to always put into perspective that I'm just a guy talking from the perspective of I've watched every game and I'm pouring over this stuff more than anyone else, unless they are part of the league, right? But there are mistakes being made by the guys who have not played in Weekend 1, who are now playing in Weekend 2, that would have been mitigated by them getting more experience. And it's an unfortunate side effect that the Rath are dealing with, not just of injuries, but also of inexperience. Um, part of that problem is that the biggest plus for them in this game, the biggest plus for them in this game against the mob was super physical defence in the open court and under the hook from Sean Stith. And if you are a physical playing team, when you then lose guys to injuries, um, none of which were like, occurred because of extreme physicality, you know, they're all just things here and there and and landing awkwardly in the tramps and stuff like that. Um, It takes away as well if you basically can't play physical because we can't afford more injuries. And that's kind of maybe the position that they're in right now, despite being a team who, for most people, are still a top three team in terms of power rankings. So it's, it's tough for them. In terms of how the mob played, strong perimeter defense from the off, uh d- despite the fact they're playing against a team that only has one option. The mob, as I discussed last week, I think are trying to run up scores. They're they're not they are they are not being jerks about it in the final possession. Uh they, they in this game they did go on and score, I think it was either this game or the Rumble game, uh, which was the main event. Uh the team did score in the last possession when arguably they didn't need to. They could have done what you do in basketball, which is we're already up by like 30 we're just going to take the turnover here, give you guys the ball and, and play a fair game. But someone, and I think it was a referee, was sort of screaming at them, you've got a shot clock play. You've got a shot clock play. And so they went and got a dunk because they were being told you need to play. And I think part of that is entertainment value. But they knew, and anyone who's been watching knows, that the wrath had one offensive option, which is Slade and Nick Park's two-man game at most, right? So you've got three options. It's Slade on his own, it's Nick Park's on his own, it's the two of them together, that's it. And so to run, like, high-pressure defense on them from the off is just trying to, like, shut them out early so that you can run up the score, because as I am theorizing, I think point differential will be a tiebreaker if there are main event differences. And it would be impossible, I think, at this stage for the mob to then, you know, lose out here. Unless, Unless they lost every single game for the next two weeks, there's no way that they're losing the number one seed. Um, and e- even if they did, they're, they're wanting to run up the score to show dominance, to to make other teams question if they can even beat the mob. And as I say, for this hypothetical extra tiebreaker that I'm, I'm just thinking. I, I've not been told this. The league still hasn't told me what the secondary tiebreaker is, but we will find out. Um, and I think the other reason for that is because if they run up the score early... Um, they get the opportunity to take out Gage Smith from the, the lineup. And again, I think universally, almost everyone is seeing him as an MVP favorite for this season. Um, And if you're able to rest at an MVP favorite, that keeps them fresher for more games. The comparison I will give to basketball fans is when the Golden State Warriors had Kevin Durant, they were beating teams by so much that regularly in the fourth quarter, Steph Curry wasn't having to play. Right. And that was because he could rest and you could play him more minutes in other games and save him for playoffs. And that's almost what the mob is doing with Gage Smith. Coach Kirsch told me that all the guys on his team know that they can be replaced. I think the exception to that rule is possibly Gage Smith. And I think that's why um, Deontay Bird is getting a lot more play at stopper these, this this weekend. Because they're winning by so much that they can take out Gage, let him get rested for main event matchups where it might be more important to have him play big minutes. Um, it's, It's that strategic thought. It's their quick offense. It is tough perimeter defense when they're trying it. And it is poise in the moment. And by that, I mean they've had multiple plays, specifically in the third quarter, where they took up the whole shot clock, didn't panic and got a good shot out of it right or or for example multiple times over the course of the night where Justin Holloway had a play set up the play wasn't coming off the way that the mob wanted it and he was able to make a tough i think the toughest toughest play you can make in slam ball mid-range jump shot um this team is doing everything like like everything. you have you have a team who is the most banged up going up against a team who is is so much better in, in a lot of ways than, than other teams by eye test and by score margin and by all this stuff, like, it's still a ridiculous scoring differential that they've got in terms of, like, the the buzz are the clear second favorite in terms of score differential, but I think it's, like, 38 to over 100 for the mob. And just to just to be fair about it, let me just make sure that I'm getting that right. Um, that, yeah, if you look at the the... Oh, wow, well, they've added all the stats to the website. Excellent. If anyone is looking to get the full stats for all of their teams, you can absolutely do it by going to the Slam Ball site now because they've now got their breakdowns of field goals, etc. But, the yeah, the plus, minus, and points for the mob is currently 219. And second is the Buzzsaw, who are... Um, they are 54 points above the Slashers in third, but the Buzzsaw are still at 32 compared to 219 for the mob they're just running teams ragged it's it's harsh um and when you have the most banged up team with very limited scoring options against a team who outside of darius clark who's got a chest bruise but again coach kirsch says that anyone in the outfield can be replaced and they're doing that with cam Hollins becoming the leading scorer for this team over the weekend they have a team that is yes they have an injury but they are they are coached to perfection and they are not as banged up as the Wrath are, and the Wrath have got very limited options. The Mob have all their options. It leads to, and this is not that encouraging. Um, as someone who took the Wrath as my team for the season, uh, arbitrarily, this is what James Willis was telling them in the fourth quarter. And this is this is the intonation he gave it, and this is almost this is almost a direct quote. It's slightly, I think, I got it slightly wrong, but almost right. This is an ass. This is their timeout. They get one timeout in the fourth. This is all he says to them. This is an ass whooping, This is an ass-whooping. Do you like the way this feels? You shouldn't have to hear my voice out here. You've got one minute. Play hard for one minute. Get your money's worth for one minute. So there was no, like, encouragement. It, It was like, you should be playing better. But I don't know what more he was expecting from this team. And I'm worried that he's not trying to make adjustments and instead just letting the team try their best. I mean, they, you reduce down the plays to make it easier for the team. Um, yeah, I I was not encouraged by hearing that. I think it's honest. And honesty is important. And a lot of people would say that people aren't as honest with, with athletes and, and young men as we maybe need to be at times. And I uh, had a parent in my work over this weekend say like, oh, you know, kids today with all their participation medals." I'm not looking for that. I'm just looking for... A little bit more than, do you like how this feels? It's not entirely on these guys that they're getting their asses whooped. It's, they're playing the best team and they've got none of their starting four at this stage. You can't just go, this is an ass whooping, do you like how this feels? No, they don't like how this feels, but they're also like aware of their situation. And I'd hope that the coach is as well. Anyway, Mob, Mob went out against the Rath, and and there's clear reasons as to why second matchup of the night was a lot more exciting from a competitive standpoint it was Rumble versus ozone and it literally came down to the final 30 seconds of play not in a make it break it scenario like we'd seen previously but in a just really tough last 30 seconds Rumble versus ozone Rumble take it for their first win of the season 66 to 65. Um, In terms of pre-game, Bakari Copeland is still out, so there is no authentic stopper for the Rumble. Marcus Bradley is their other registered stopper, but in the five appearances he had for the Rumble this season, uh, he has only got two stops and nine loose ball retrievals. So this is not a guy who you can rely on as a starting stopper. And so instead, they're playing Tamaric Fields as that position. And he's good. He he is decent at that role, um, but he's not you don't want him to be your starting stopper. And you would much rather have him be a gunner, because he can score, and he does score while he's out there, because they still need that scoring out of him rather than being purely a defensive guy. Um and that that's that's I'll not that for the the rumble right away, because stopper, to me, is the most important position in slam ball. You need someone who's really good. At minimum, you need someone who is decent uh, at starting stopper to contend with any teams. And ideally, you want someone who is a high, high caliber to win. Um, Again, people are saying Gage Smith is an MVP favorite, and that's because he does a lot defensively and in terms of helping set up the offense in the half court for the mob. And that's kind of what you want. And the Rumble, on the other hand, have got no one who is an authentic, you know, starting stopper, a guy who is doing an excellent job of, of playing that position for them, but is still not, pure in that role, and so can get uh, exposed when it comes to movement around that bottom tramp. That being said, it was on the other end of the floor that that was happening more in this game, as the rumble have finally started to find offence outside of outside shooting. I mean, we'll talk about it sort of like, we'll go Ozone, Rumble, and then the final couple plays. So, for the Ozone, Brian Bell Anderson was a big part of the early offence. He acknowledges, according to commentary, that his weekend one was not ideal. It's not what they wanted to see out of him, and he could have played a lot better, right? He is acknowledging that. He thinks that he needed to play better after Weekend 1. So I like this idea from the Ozone of, we need to get this guy more involved. So first of all, he's starting, which I didn't appreciate. He hadn't started all season. More of a concern about that than in the last game, I suppose. But he hadn't been playing starting minutes all season. It was his first start, and they got him a dunk. And then he had an opportunity to score, but he just went a little bit too fast in the tramp. Didn't time his jump right and kind of messed it up. But he's acknowledged he needs to get better. They're trying to get him more involved. His scoring output this game wasn't stellar. But it was nine points. Nine points. Which is more than any other game this season, I believe, and that's a slight improvement. So if I'm going to be harsh on him I th- in previous games, I think we need to acknowledge that he is improving, and the team is acknowledging that they need to get him involved a little bit more, and he is acknowledging that he needs to play a little bit better. I've pointed out that his perimeter defense is going to be his highlight. Um, there was there was a couple of plays that you were noticing it last night, but there wasn't. I didn't see enough uh, emphasis or or evidence, sorry, of his ability to. Uh, to make those stops so um, on a perimeter play. So I, I just need to see a little bit more from him in that respect, but they see what, what they wanted to see with him. They're going to improve with him. Laquavius Q Cotton, he contributed throughout the game. He had 11 points for the team. It felt like a lot more because it felt like he was getting them points when it mattered. Um, Even if he wasn't scoring a lot, he was getting big dunks in important moments, but the guy of the game for the Ozone, despite this loss, was Keith McGee. Clear stud for this team. He was 38 of the 65 points for the Ozone. Showboating on half of these dunks, and they were all dunks. It was 13 of 15 in terms of rim attacks. Rim attacks, 100%. All of his points coming from just gunning at the rim and getting dunks on guys. Um, a lot of these were high, art, like high bounce, really strong finish against tough defensive. Again, not from anyone who is a high, high, high level stopper, but Tamaric Fields has shown that he is capable of the the first degree of stopping potential, which is drives and single cuts, or uh, minimum drives, right? And he just couldn't stop Keith McGee. No one could stop Keith McGee, uh, but the ozone run out of steam towards the end. In that, the Rumble were a lot better in terms of their cutting play. They, they were still taking shots from outside. Coach Carter said, we're going to let them fly, and they definitely let them fly. The team went 0 of 2 from 3 and 2 of 8 from 4, which is not great, but they are taking less and making more than they did in previous games, so maybe that's a positive. The Problem is, or not the problem, the the really good thing, the really, really good thing for the Rumble is that they are now diversifying the offense. So they were driving more. They were thinking, right, we need to let Tippins Hill, Kaelin Tippins Hill, get us points by just going and charging the rim and doing what he can to score. We need to cut offensively in the tramps. They've started to do a lot more of um, alley-oops. So two guys cutting in from either side tramp and an alley-oop from one side to the other over the stopper, that's hard to stop because you need to make an assessment on, okay, these guys are coming in, are they going into the bottom tramp or are they coming in from the sides? Who do I need to go to? And by the time you've made that decision, you're already on your descent and the pass gets made over and it's an easy dunk for the other team. And they were stringing together a lot of those. Um, the eye test is that they're forcing more of the inside game. They're attacking with cuts around the bottom tramp and the island and they're doing, as I say, these alley-oops midair. Love was struggling Keenan Love, the Ozone stopper, was struggling with more options thrown at him. And Vincent Bowman was just not getting the height necessary to get in the way of these alley passes that were going from side-tramp to side-tramp. So it is it is very difficult to stop that kind of offence, clearly. And uh, the Ozone were struggling with it because the Rumble were all of a sudden breaking this out when they've not done it as much in previous games. So they are still focusing on outside shooting. And that definitely was the case in the game against the mob that we'll get into momentarily, but I like that they're diversifying a little bit, and it gives me more confidence in them going forward, that they're seeing alternative options outside of just shooting threes and fours. That being said, I need them to be consistent with that, and we'll talk about that in a moment. The end of this game, it is 45-44 to the Rumble at the end of the third quarter because of a face-off from Victor Dean, Victorious Dean. At the end of the game, back and forth in the fourth, the Ozone go up by three, J.Twan Williams for the Rumble hits one of those two fours that they had in the game. Rumble up by one. Ball goes down the other end and Keith McGee gets a 360 dunk. A 360 dunk to put his team up by two. That was wildly unnecessary. Okay. Um, J.Twan Williams comes down the other way very fast. After making that four, he gets a windmill dunk over Keenan Love. The Rumble are now up 63-62 to 62 with 38 seconds left. Crazy, crazy series of plays. Timeout taken. I think it was by the Ozone. No way of telling right now. They then get a nice low-level block from Keenan Love because the Rumble still had possession of the ball. Keenan Love gets a block in the in the tramp as the Rumble player was going up. Quick outlet, very fast dunk on the other end. The Rumble now have around 18 seconds to make a play. And Tamarick Fields, who is their de facto stopper, comes up just out of the tramp. <clears throat> and he's looking for something to happen. They've got 20 seconds shot clock. They have about 11 sec. They have about 18 seconds of play. And he's looking for what can we do? Remember, running clock unless referees whistle. He is looking for a play. Nothing materializes. So with about 11 seconds left, Tamarick Fields just drives. He drives straight at that top tramp. Two ozone players come to him and sort of bump him as he's making his approach. It almost could have been called for a foul entering the tramp no call occurs he breaks through those two defenders gets into the tramp with no steam and you're thinking this is going to go short but keenan love kind of stumbles into the bottom tramp on his way to making a stop commentary suggests he was out of position i think realistically he was expecting there to be a foul called on entering the tramp from Tamrick fields i think everyone involved in the game thought oh we've we've just given them you know we've just done a, a make it break it because we fouled him entering the tramp, which might be a good strategy. And I mean, if you have faith that you can stop this basket or make it break it, and then you get another opportunity, cool. But I don't think that was what was happening. I think they thought it was a foul. He love missed times his jump as a result. You've got to play the whistle in that situation, but I understand where your head would be at, seeing that amount of contact happen. And then somehow with the with the run-up he didn't get. Tamaric Fields manages to make it to the basket, dunk it home, he sort of lands in Keenan Love's way, the ball bounces out of the tramps, there's no referee's whistle, by this point there's about 4 seconds left in the game, so because the rum- because the Ozone weren't able to get possession of the ball, and arguably because Tamaric Fields got in Keenan Love's way in that bottom tramp after the dunk, so that might be something to look at. If you're if you're the Ozone, you want to talk about getting screwed, but I think that's all within the realm of the game. The Ozone weren't able to get another shot opportunity. Rumble get their first way of the season in a tight finish. One of the best games we have seen all season from like a, a tense final minutes type of thing. Um, really good play from the Rumble, really improved play. The Ozone, uh, their their stoppers were were struggling a little bit with the inclusion of more cuts from the Rumble. Uh, but at the same time, they were getting a lot of baskets from Keith McGee. They were making sure to get Brian Bell Anderson more involved, and Q Cotton was great. Both these teams have a lot to be proud of. Congratulations to the Rumble for getting their first win. The problem with getting your first win in Slam Ball is that it ultimately means that you are meeting the mob in a main event matchup. And this main event matchup was not pretty either. I think a lot of people are saying that the uh, the Rumble probably played the best out of a lot of teams, at taking on the mob in the first quarter. I'm trying to pull up the stats live and direct because that's what the internet is saying, is that, wow, the Rumble did a great job of, of of you know playing against the mob in the first quarter. And do you know what? You are right. The mob scored 15 in the first quarter. The Rumble scored 11. So that is a close game. The problem is it was then an immediate blowout by second quarter. Um, it became, you know, mob scored 18, rumble scored two in the second quarter. And the biggest thing I want to talk about is stopper play. You need a competent stopper to even bother the mob. You need someone who can do more than just block straight drives and can consistently get single cut uh, or like blocks in. So some players can get a block on a single cut a lot of stoppers are struggling with that at times and you need someone who can get that, consi- like almost 90% of single cuts blocked and 100% of drives blocked. That is the way that you need to beat them up. Ideally, you need to have a stopper who can cover any sort of offensive set and we've not seen anything like that so far. I have not been high on Tyquan Scott. I was getting into that with coach Hernando Planels on Twitter last night about why I'm not high on him and the, the logistics and the reasons that I'm giving as to why. But, at minimum, he is making the mob have to work harder on all of these, like, three-person cuts, two-person cuts. He is forcing them to have to work and make those, right? Other team stoppers aren't even making that a thing, right? For other team stoppers, if they're not blocking every drive, which, credit to him, Taequann Scott does, if they're not blocking the majority of single drives, sorry, single cuts, single slashes, throw him single cuts, which Tyquan Scott is getting a lot of them. He's not getting all of them, but he is getting a lot of them. If you're not able to do those two things, then the mob will run over you because they can do the fancy trick plays, but they can also just jump straight over you. And they also have guys who are willing to put their body on the line and jump high on single man drives that you, if you can't stop that, you cannot stop this team. So... If you want me to give more credit to Taekwon Scott, I I understand why you'd be saying that with the stats he's got. And what I've just said, maybe he's the one that's played them the best from the stopper position. But at the same time, you need more to compete with this team. You need to be able to stop those multi-person cuts. And it's not enough to say, well, the mob are the only team that do it. Cool, the mob are the only team that are going to win a championship then. If that's how we want to take this. If we want to say the mob are the only team that do multi-person cuts, yes, and they are the team that is over you know, over 80 points higher in differential than the next best team. So, over 70, that's more accurate. We need to address that, and that needs to be your focus. Yes, you need to beat each team night in, night out, but you cannot be complacent in thinking, well, it's just one team that's doing that, because it's just one team that's destroying the rest of the league, is the only team that's undefeated and is 8-0, and looks like there's no one that can stop them. So you need to be able to stop them uh, from getting comfortable with multi-person cuts, you need to have a stopper who can block all of their drives and the majority of their single cuts, right? And then outside of that, you need perimeter defense that's gonna stop them from getting comfortable on the island, which is entirely doable, right? The quick transition offense from the mob is another, another issue. Again, against a team that doesn't have a strong stopper. I've just talked about, you need to be able to stop drives, you need to be able to stop single cuts, okay? And what the mob can do is they can get out and run very quickly so that they get those drives and they get those single cuts off fast. And if you have a team where the stopper isn't as comfortable doing that, like Taekwon Scott or, uh, for example, Fessel Shafak, Keenan as other guys, to point out, right? If you are not as comfortable getting in the way of those drives and those single man cuts, then they are going to get a lot of points in transition and fast break points. And that's going to run up the score as well. In terms of defensively, Gabe Smith was continuing to disrupt the game in the bottom tramp. When he jumps in, he's getting body to body contact with the defender without getting rough about it. His timing is such that he kind of stops their momentum and he is here with his hands and he follows them around. Is that drifting? He's not jumping up and going forward or sideways, he is turning with the guy. The other call you might want to say is if he's jumping into the air, he's spinning midair to try and get a stop. Is that drifting? I need clarifications on what constitutes drifting. Is it just how you land? Is that the thing? Is it where you end up in the air? Is a turn adrift? I need answers to these. But regardless, he is able to disrupt play in the bottom tramp by timing, getting himself there, and getting in the way. And that is disrupting an offense like the Rumbles, who are just starting to get comfortable with those, those passes. And what they ended up doing was settling for outside shots again. Now, the the numbers actually aren't as bad as in other games, but it felt a lot like they just weren't going for drives as much in this game. They ended of 0 of 1 from 3, 2 of 7 from 4 point range for the rumble, and they just didn't seem like they were driving as much out of fear for gauge stopping them because they weren't able to get alley-oops around him. Again, this is the spinning in the air thing where they're throwing an alley-oop and he's turning midair to bat it away or get a block on the guy who is who is making, who's supposed to be making a play on that ball. And that's, again, you need a stopper who's able to do that to disrupt an, uh, an offense. Adding on the fact that he is disrupting an offense in the tramps themselves, um, just very hard to deal with. And I, I wish that the Rumble had gone with more just straight drives and more of these cuts instead of settling for outside shots um, because I would have liked to see them develop that more and see if they could bother Gage Smith with it and the Rumble, the, the mob defence. Um, I think the Rumble are much improved compared to last, night, uh, to last week in terms of they look comfortable running an offence that's not just outside shooting. And they look comfortable resetting when things go wrong, rather than just looking like deer in the headlights and what are we doing and what are we running and how are we making this work. So I think that they have a lot to be proud of and they've definitely improved, but I think that the mob are still very difficult to beat. So much so that in the fourth quarter, and and late on in the game, yet again, the mob take Gage Smith out, put in Deontay Bird, who is a, a... Excellent backup option for stopper. Um and then Gage Smith comes in and plays Gunner, which if you didn't know was the position that every other team would have played him at, but Coach Kirsch said, I think he'd be a great stopper. And every other team would have played Gage Smith at Gunner. And when you watch the fourth quarter of this game, after Coach Kirsch had told his guys in the huddle, um, let's let Gage get some points. He never gets to play Gunner. He never gets to do what he's good at, which is crazy to hear about a guy who's potentially got MVP locked up. Um, they play through him and just let him get a bunch of points and he ends this game with, with a with a decent output of 11 points for his team. That's second highest on the squad in, in, on the game uh, just because they were playing through him in the fourth and the Rumble couldn't get in his way and that's a totally different guy that you then have to face and the fact that if, for instance, they think Deontay Bird is good enough at stopper that they can play Gage Smith at gunner instead. If you have a game where it's tight but you need a little bit more offense and you bring out your defensive guy and make him play offensive minutes and they're good minutes, that would be scary. Um, I started this with a quote from commentary. John Schriffin, this is not a me thing, this is the lead commentator for the league, shouted at the end of the game, can anyone beat the mob? My goodness, that's an endorsement for a team playing well, isn't it? And the mob are playing well. Um, talking about them playing well, that is the recap from last night's action, okay three games, three good games in different ways, even in blowouts, I like seeing what makes the mob different and the plays that they can pull off and there was a McNasty thrown in there from Cam Hollins, was just some great play from the team in general Um, even in blowouts, I'm finding value in watching these games because there's something to learn every time, whether it's about play, or about players or about coaching, or about uh, just highlights there's something of value even in blowouts for me and it's fun it's fun to analyze but let's get into power rankings i am prefacing this a power ranking is how powerful a team currently appears right it is not what are their league standings it is not like is a likelihood of winning a championship. Because anything can happen in an eight-team league when the playoffs are single elimination, right? It is not, this is the best team to the worst team. It is, how powerful does this team look right now? And the reason I'm addressing that is because you will see my power rankings up here right now and you'll be questioning my eighth place pick. If you are listening rather than watching I have the Wrath at 8th on my power rankings, and we will get to why, but I think you will know my reasoning just by me saying that, and by the fact that I'm prefacing this, because I know that any other power ranking out there is going to have them a lot higher, as the only 500 team in this league, but you need to look at more than just wins and losses, you need to look at more than just standings when you are talking about power rankings, and I will get into my wheres, whats, and whys as we go through this, okay, so... The number one team power rankings-wise is the mob. That cannot be questioned. They're the only undefeated team. They're (coughs) 8-0. Choking on my energy drink here. They're 8-0. No change to their positioning from last week. Undefeated. Excellent offense. Best stopper in the league and really good uh, perimeter defense when they want it. The closest game they have played thus far is a 13-point win. That being said, a massive knock against them this weekend is the teams that they had to play. All of which I think most people would have around the bottom half of standings and of and of like power rankings, right? Because this weekend they played the Ozone, they played the Griffins, they played the very injured Wrath, who you could argue are high. Uh, again, I will argue whether or not. And then they played the Rumble. So the Griffins and Rumble only played the mob because they'd got their first wins of the season that led to main event matchups. Uh, and the Ozone... They, they dealt with quite handily, right? So the Ozone were the only team that, well, they were one and two coming into this weekend. So the mob strength of schedule was weak for weekend two. And that is a big knock against them, I think. I wanted to see them play better teams. The wrath should have been a challenge. The injuries were a big concern. And that means that it was, you know, a, a, the game that we saw the biggest blowout in the season, possibly, or at least it felt that way. So they have not had to play as difficult opponents as maybe some other teams have. And that's interesting given the league seem to want to create parity by having good teams play good teams and bad teams play bad teams so that we could get a balance of power, right? The mob still by far number one, but strength of schedule leaves a little bit to be des- des- desired. Hopefully they are playing some better teams week two and we can, we can get an analysis of that. In terms of better teams, the clear second best team in the league, and I am stressing this because this has not changed. This is not, my position has not changed from week one to week two. The Buzzsaw are the second best team in this league. They have not changed. You will see a plus zero over here on my right because they were number two last week. They are number two this week. A little bit nervous in some of their games from week two. Um, Their win on Friday against the Wrath should have been a win. Even with Sean Stith still playing, that is a very injured team. The Buzzsaw are too good of a team to lose to, admittedly, maybe maybe when healthy third best team in the league. Not with those injuries. The Buzzsaw can deal with them. They had to make a comeback against the Lava on Saturday night, which is not ideal. And they will argue, and I understand it, that that shows grit and determination to fight back, and that is true. But it was a low-scoring game, and the Lava have yet to get a win all season. But they still won. The the buzzsaw still beat them. That is still good. It was 31-27. It's, you know, not not the best-scoring game. They did, however, win it with really aggressive drives to the basket, which I like. They are maybe one of the best teams in terms of cutting around the island and in terms of setting up plays that deal with flaws, okay? I was talking about in in yesterday's episode that they've managed to find a play that removes how many guys are in that bottom tramp and creates more space so they're less likely to get two in calls. And I like that. I like that diversification of your offense. I like that the team is... Um, making changes and making adjustments and are being coached to be better in terms of what they're doing defensively to stop opposition players. Um, I like that. A knock against them from this weekend is uh, a loss to the Slashers on uh, Friday night. Um, They had a little mini rivalry with the Slashers because they lost them in the main event of um, Friday night by 18 points. And then Saturday night, it was another... Uh, the two of them matched up in the main event again, which shows a separation from the better teams Lead the league. The fact that they were in the main event two nights in a row, uh, despite, obviously, they're playing extra minutes by playing that second game. Um, it's, it, it, you know, a mini rivalry. The, 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 the buzz made defensive and offensive adjustments for that second game, and they won by nine points. So if you're wanting to look from game to game, that's showing adjustments, that's showing development, that's showing um, changes being made night to night. Versus the Slashers maybe not making those same adjustments, right? So in terms of looking at the buzzsaw, why are they second? Well, they're comfortable around cutting the island. Um, If they're not comfortable with certain things, like a lot of, uh, you know, two in the tramp calls, they're making adjustments offensively to try and go away from plays that could cause that. Their stopper is, at at minimum, good, because he is high statistics in terms of LBRs uh, per game and stops. And so you need to do a little bit more than just drive at this guy in Taekwon Scott to score, which you can't say for any other, for, for many others, for some other stoppers in the league. The team showed good fortitude, offensive aggression, and making defenses uncomfortable, while also getting into passing lanes and being physical around the perimeter, while still being disciplined and not giving away many fouls or violations in their comeback win against the Lava. But then just generally over the weekend, so Buzzsaw are clearly number two. Clearly number three, bumping up from number four last week is the Slashers. They are four and three total on the league now. They, like the Rumble, went uh what was it? What was the call have been? Two and one? Three-and-one. Both the Rumble and sorry, both the Buzz and the Slashers went three and one uh on their weekend because they end up playing each other twice and taking a win from each. So. That's that's how that worked out. So both of those teams went three and one. So the slashers are bumping up to third because they are now the other team with a winning record in the league at four and three. Their offense looked crisp. They have got so much better at um, passing around the bottom tramp and getting little alley-oops on the short bounce over stoppers. And a lot of that is down to um, Brad Laubacher. Weekend one, they were playing almost exclusively on the offense through Tony Crosby the second. It was either he scores or he's getting on the island and trying to set guys up. And that offense wasn't necessarily working for them. Now having Brad Laubacher as a guy who can make passes in the air, that's really good. We will talk about him a little bit later on as well. Losing to the buzz next night. So first of all, they, they beat the buzzers on Friday night. We talked about it was an 18-point victory and the Buzz are a good defensive team. So beating a good defensive team by double digits, close to 20 points, that's really good in terms of your offense showing the ability to cut up a defense, right? That's great. Losing to them the next night might show that you're struggling to adapt. If, the, if it's a game of chess, the saw have made a play and the slashers have given up on the game. They've not decided to make a, a play back. They are taking way too long to make a decision and that might be a concern. Uh, their game against the Rumble was one where the Rumble shot themselves out of the game and they lost their star guy on the Friday night matchup halfway through the match losing their starting stopper in Bakari Copeland for the second week in a row which made the offense for the Slashers a lot easier. So if that's a, a knock against them like I said maybe a lack of uh, adaptability game to game and then also strength of schedule the Rumble didn't play particularly well on Friday night it was it was hard for them. Okay, They shot themselves out of that game. That being said And this might surprise some people i've got the rumble as fourth in my power rankings up four spots from last week where they were clear eighth they are now one and four on the season they lost the slashers by eight on friday night they lost their best player and shot themselves out of the game they were combined two of 13 from distance not great but that's the strategy they want to go for is distance shooting and they can balance that out with getting good rebounds The thing is that as the weekend went on, we saw a development in the terms of the Rumble and in terms of their ability to score outside of just three-point shooting, in terms of driving to the basket, in terms of involving a lot of their team in scoring, and in terms of wing-wing cuts, alley-oops mid-air. I like that they've turned things around with their first win on the Sunday. It was a difficult matchup with the Ozone, and they showed poise under pressure to be able to win that game against a team that looked far more comfortable at times their lack of stopper is a big concern. Um, I think that that's going to be very difficult going forwards. Tamaric Fields is, is good, but you do not want him to be your starting stopper. You want him to be a starting gunner, right? So why are the rumble of fourth? I have a lot of confidence in them now that they've worked out a little bit more varied offense. I think that they brought a lot of energy on Sunday night, and I'd like to see that continue. It's also the case that we've got three teams that are one of four, and separating them is a little bit hard when they are only playing two games a weekend because of the win-loss thing. So rumble at four, Griffins at five. For me, that's two positions up from where they were last week. They are now one and four of the on the season. Their first win, um, squeaking it out against the Lava again, a close game. Um, when we talk about the Lava in a moment, you've got to analyze the fact that they've lost some, have lost very close games thus far. Their their point differential is is crazy. Unfortunate for them, uh, I think is it, something that we'll have to talk about. But Griffins. Um, first one of the season, a game that they almost blew because they were up and then the lava came back, but they were able to squeak out a win, so good for them. Jones and Holmes are bad news offensively. They are they are very good at driving to the basket and playing a two-man game. The problem is outside of that, there is no clear offensive structure for the Griffins. I don't know if they're doing cuts. I don't know if what what they're what they're doing outside of just driving. And when I was talking about the the qualities of Taekwon Scott earlier, and any stopper who's worth their salt, you should be able to stop single-person drives and single-person cuts with an alley coming from somewhere. As a stopper, you should be able to do that. And so if they come up against teams that have good stoppers, they are struggling to score. And we know this because even though they are really good defensively, they are struggling to get baskets in. The other thing that holds them back is massively overthinking strategy. Playing two stoppers against the Slashers on Saturday was a poor, poor choice. I like the logic, but it should have ended early and you should have just let Connor Hollenbeck try and disrupt TC2 as much as he could instead of playing this really unique defensive strategy that I don't think any team could pull off to a high degree. Um, totally overthought. That shows concern for their team coaching staff's adaptability we will see what they do going forward but no clear offensive structure um two really good driving players but drives should be stopped by most stoppers and a really weird decision to change up your defense when that is your strongest asset so I don't know what the team what they are thinking internally about that Sixth in the power rankings with no change from last week is the Ozone. They are one and four on the on the on the season. They got their first win in week one, so they went zero and two this weekend. No wins. A close one with the Rumble that could have gone either way, and an unfortunate mistake from Keen Love. Ultimately, I'm just not seeing enough from the Ozone to bump them up against other teams who are developing because they had their first win and then they've stayed stagnant. But they're not they're not getting any worse, if that makes sense. I don't think that they're a bad team. I just think they're sixth in a league of eight teams. The Lava are seventh, which is where they were last week. Um, they are—I've put them as one and four. That is not true. The Lava are the only teams to get without a win. They are zero and four right now. Um, hopefully, I've not put them as one and four on on the power rankings that you're seeing here, because I will need to make another one very quickly because that is ridiculous. They are plus minus is actually, and this is this is so hurtful if you're a Lava fan. The number one plus-minus in the league is the mob with 219 points, up four, right? Then it is the buzzsaw with 32. The next best, I got it wrong talking about the buzzsaw earlier in terms of how close they were to the slashers, because the next best isn't the slashers in third place in the league. It's the lava, who have not won a game. Their plus-minus is a minus 13, which means in the four games they've played, they're losing by an average of 3.25 points. That's got to suck if you're a Lava fan. That is a harsh, harsh reality to be looking at because they are not a bad team. How many times have you heard me and other people who are talking about Slam Ball say the Lava are not a bad team? They're just not getting everything together. They are my, my seventh team because they're the only one less team. They've got another injury to their first round pick in Bryce Moraine, who goes out with a leg injury earlier on this weekend and doesn't come back for the second game of the weekend. That's got to be a concern when he was your leading scorer after weekend one. Him being banged up isn't great, especially when you don't seem to have like a clear offensive design outside of that. right? They are regularly misjudging late-game situations and they're not playing well well enough early in the game to stop those from occurring. It's why you're ending up with this 3.25 points against per game differential. That sucks. Actually, I'm not even a guy who's... The Lava are not a team that I'm inherently rooting for. I want them to get a win because I want this league to have the parity that they want. But that is such a heartbreaking stat to look at. Um, Yeah. Lava at 7th. No change from last week. The controversial decision I am making. And you can argue with me in the comments. You can argue with me on Twitter. You can argue with me on, on anywhere, right? At X, not Twitter. I have the RAF at 8th, which is five positions lower than they were last week. They are the only 500 team in this league at 3-3, three three, which means that they are fourth in the league, right? They are not playing bad. Their plus-minus differential is actually the fourth best in the league as well, right? So they are doing they are doing fine. The problem is, in this power ranking, how powerful does that team look right now? They look weak and that's not to say physically weak that's to say your starting four are all hurt you're playing the entire taxi squad plus uh darian slade and nick parks it is not looking good for the wrath in terms of just like they could be a top three team other places will be ranking them as a top three team and i understand where you're coming from but if we're looking at how powerful this team looks what we think they can accomplish throughout the rest of the season, I think that this is a very slippery slope for the wrath because they do not have that many options and they are losing their physical presence under the basket with Sean Stith going out. We have no timeline for a turn for any of these guys. If you want to be hopeful, I was saying this to, to um, Mr. Smith, who is, who is one of the guys who has been covering the league a lot as well online and has been very engaged and very analytical about it. I was saying... As as someone who's also a wrestling fan, there was a guy who got concussion last year in a high-profile way, and he missed basically the entire year with that concussion. Very bad shape. How bad is Ty McGee's concussion? A lot of people are thinking, oh, it's concussion protocols. He might be back this week. There is no guarantee with concussions that you will be back week to week. He might not come back for the rest of the season, and that could just be the reality of the situation. And then on the other hand... Christian Grey, we have no timeline for coming back. Stephen Julian third, we have no timeline for coming back right now. Sean Stith, we have no timeline for coming back right now. Stephen Landers, uh, sorry, Trey Landers, who was their guy who was injured week one, who came in week two, he's not playing a huge number of minutes. Uh, but when he is playing, he is now having to play stopper. He is not a stopper. They don't have a backup stopper. There is no backup stopper in the taxi squad. They have taken all of the taxi squad players. I do not know what we can expect from the Wrath going forward, and that is very scary for them. That's why they're 8th on my power ranking, because I don't think we're going to see much from them going forward, and that sucks, because I want every team to do well. You're going to play through Darian Slade, you're going to play through Nick Parks, that is going to be it for this team. How are they going to play defensively? They might be okay in the open floor, but they're going to really struggle underneath the basket if you've got you know Trey Landers as your as your stopper nothing against him, that's just not the position he's supposed to be playing and I don't know where scoring is going to come from from this team in, in a, you know, I don't know where scoring is going to come from in a more structured way they're still going to score some points but teams that can block drives and block single cuts are going to stop this team and so I am now selling stock of the Wrath. I am supporting them because I picked them pre-season and I still like the team and I like how they played weekend one. Um, So as a fan of them, uh, I'm still rooting for them. But if I was, like, buying stock, I would not be buying Wrath stock right now. And that's just because it's down. Maybe buy low, sell high, but I don't think you're going to get to a high point the rest of the season if we don't know when guys are coming back. Those are our power rankings, a very quick countdown of what they were again. First place, the mob. Second place, the buzzsaw. Third place, the slashers. Fourth place, the rumble, who are jumping up five points this week. Fifth place is the griffins, who are bumping up two. Sixth place is the ozone. Seventh place is the lava. And in eighth, it is the wrath. Just because of injuries, it's a massive concern. We now move into our all-star for for week two and I'm just going to put it all up here and then I'll explain it for you rather than last week where I was like cutting through it all. So stopper is Gage Smith, he continues to help facilitate the offence for his team from the back, playing so well that the team can sub him out if they want to, part of an absolute blanket at the rim while still being able to start fast breaks and like help maintain the offense in the half court. He's increased his scoring output. He's now averaging 14.75 points per game over the weekend. Scoring went up as they needed those wins. Sorry, that's that's not the right no, that's the wrong person I'm looking at, right? That is somewhere we're about to talk about. Um absolute blanket at the rim. Defense and scoring is going up because he's also being asked to play gunner minutes. Not even asked. He's being given the opportunity to play gunner minutes because they're playing so well as a team. So he ends the weekend with 7.75 LBRs per game. 7.75 stops per game, which I believe was the highest of the weekend, and 8.5 points per game playing from the stopper position. Again, he's getting those as a gunner, but I still want to acknowledge that he's doing more than just getting great defensive stats that are that are highest in the league in some respects. But he's also getting like point. He's able to get points, so he's playing, you know, three quarters of his minutes at stopper and then a quarter at gunner, and he's doing as much in the stopper position in three quarters of play than other teams are getting out of a full game, and that's kind of crazy. The points per game I was talking about is my handler of the week in Jamal Barnes Jr. He got some massive dunks for the buzz. It was his points per game that went up as the team needed wins. He had 14.7 points per game over the course of their uh, four games at the weekend. 20 points in that second game against the Slashers where they needed to prove that they could beat them and win by nine So that's really good play from him. And on top of that, the buzz are becoming a fan favourite in the arena. You had fans telling slashers like the wrong count for Shot Clock because they wanted the buzzsaw to win. And whenever JBJ was getting like a big dunk or doing something to hype up the crowd, he was getting a response from the audience and that's cool to see. So he's here for heart and for being like, a big part of the buzz getting wins in terms of just being physical in the air and and playing physical defence, but also his points per game improved as they needed wins, so good for JBJ. In terms of Gunners, we've got Cam Hollands, he has been the leading scorer for the mob in Weekend 2, with Darius Clark being out, he took that role in a weekend one um he averaged 20.25 points per game over the weekend which is which is pretty massive it's maybe the highest of the weekend possibly there's some guys who might contest with that but on the sunday in those two big wins against the wrath and then the rumble he went 26 and 29 so he is their focal point offensively right now he's getting a lot of the scoring and when you're a team that's Doing it on both ends, defensively and offensively, you need to show some love for the defense and the offense. My second gunner, I mentioned him, I want to talk about him as far as the Slashers go, Bradley Laubacher. He is someone that the Buzz specifically game planned for in that second game on, on Saturday, because what he brings on the offensive end in terms of distribution is what's making the Slashers a better team week two versus week one. Um, he is the reason that offense so well, works so well because he's getting increased minutes and increased trust to make plays and make passes. And so that I think needs to be commended. But then when you also look at his counting stats, he's everywhere for this team. So he's getting 8.7, 8.75 points per game which is someone who is not the leading score option for your team is is a decent number. And he's getting 7.25 LBRs per game. LBRs we're looking at predominantly stoppers are getting those because they're making stops or they're disrupting play offensively and then getting the ball within their own tramp. Um, to get that number of LBRs when you're not a stopper is a really good number from Brad Lowbacker. He's also tacking on two and a quarter assists per game. Again, he is running the offense for this team and that number shows it. And he's also adding a steal per game, which is, you know, that might not sound like a lot, but the league isn't currently or doesn't look like they're tra- tracking hits per game online. It's not a clear thing that they're showing. And so he... He, that that steal per game is quite significant, and I, I I want to acknowledge I want to acknowledge what Brad Lowback has done. I want to acknowledge the Slashers for going three and one on the weekend, and I think that he is a big part of that. So that's why he is the second gunner. Fifth man of the weekend, Kaylen Tippins Hill from the Rumble. The Rumble again got their first win of the weekend, and I want to acknowledge that. Um, and why is he here rather than a Griffins player who also got their first win of the weekend? Well, it's it's kind of simple. He went thirty one and twenty six and seven in terms of scoring in those games. So their their loss. Earlier on in the weekend, he had 31. Their first win ever, he scored 26. And then he had seven against the mob, which isn't great, but you are playing back-to-back games, and, and it was tough. And, and, and he is the main scoring option for this Rumble team. I want to acknowledge the scoring capabilities of Caelan Tippin-Smith. That's why he's my fifth man. Some honourable mentions for you. As we round out today's episode, Taekwon Scott of the Buzzsaw, 8.25 LBRs and 7.5 stops. That LBR number is the highest in the league. By, by I think a lot, I think probably Gage is next up after him and that's a 0.5 differential, so good in terms of LBRs. And in terms of stops for game, 7.5 is a, is a huge number. So good from Taekwon Scott. Um, I also want to acknowledge two guys from the Slashers in Amir Smith who had a 6.5 LBR, 7.25 stops and is also getting 9.5 points per game because they were rotating him out with Nathan Carsgins who was playing minutes at stopper for the team so he's getting an opportunity to score while also getting a really high stopping number at that position. And then TC2, also for the Slashers, in terms of scoring over the weekend, he had 26, 12, 30 and 12. So he was playing really well in first night uh, in first matchups and then dropping off a little bit in second, but is still getting double digit points in every game he played over the weekend, which, as we're talking about some other great players, isn't always the case. So that is our All-Star 5. It is Gage Smith, it is Jamal Barnes Jr., it is Cam Hollins. it is Brad Lauerbacher. Really great play from the great teams this weekend. There is a clear separation between the, not just in terms of the wins, because that's an obvious thing, but there's a clear separation from the mob, the buzzsaw and the slashers over all other teams. For scheduling this weekend, I want to see the mob have to go up against the Buzz and the Slashers again. If we are serious about that question that John Schriffin asked of who can stop the mob, the answer is going to be one of those two teams because you need offense and you need defense. And we just need to see it in action. We've got two more weeks of of, uh, of regular season play. And I think if we want to prove that this team can, can contest with the mob, we need to see them go up against the Buzz and go up against the Slashers again. Um, and then don't let anyone touch the wrath for two weeks and let them get healthy, please, so that they can contend for the championship. But that's all I'm asking for at this stage. Um, this has been Bounce Off. This has been our recap of last night's action and of the second weekend of Slam Action. I'm still so excited to be covering this league. There are times where it is exhausting staying up until 6am doing notes and then waking up at 9 to record. But... There is a joy when I then get to talk about this thing and get to explain to you guys what's going on and just give my two cents as a guy who's who's pouring everything into watching this sport. I'm really excited for week three. Um, I will probably be watching all of this weekend's games again over the course of this week and just seeing what I can catch from it. But... Week two is in the books, some great play from the mob, some great play from the buzz, some great play from the slashers, some great play from the rumble and the griffs to get their first wins. The lava a heartbreak. The Wrath needs to try and you know get healthy, and the Ozone, I mean Keith McBuckets is living up to his name. This has been Bounce Off. Catch us on social media at Quantum Roberts. That's where you can find me, Q-U-A-N-T-U-M Roberts. We might have another episode today. It might come out tomorrow. We might have some interviews this week. I'm not as set in stone this week as I was previous weeks, just because there's a lot going on in the world right now for me and for life and for stuff. So we'll see. Hopefully we can get some stuff out there. But for now, thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. Tell a friends. Joyce Slam ball. Have a beautiful rest of your Monday.